So my subject, again, is judgment and rewards. There are some who believe that there are four judgments, and there are some Christians who believe in three. There are some who believe in two, and there are some who believe in only one. There are those who believe in three different stages of heaven, different degrees of heaven. And uh, those that have uh, fortunate enough to go into the first degree of glory, they call it, then they become gods. And those who have rejected the gospel, but they believed it, but they just didn't, didn't live like they believed it, then they're going to be in the second degree of glory. And people, and it, well, Jesus Christ will be able to come down and minister to them and teach them the right way, and then they'll go up to the first degree of glory. And then there are the bad ones who denied it altogether, denied the truth, and they denied the truth as they see it and as they believe it. Now, we know that there's approximately 300 different denominations here in the United States of America. They all believe in the same book, the same Bible. And yet, we have three different, different uh, denominations, 300 different denominations. So why is it? Why is it that we vary so much? Well, someone might say, well, it's the way they interpret the Bible. It's the way you interpret the Bible, perhaps. But there are millions of people, millions of Christians, and I'm talking about born-again Christians, who believe in purgatory. And they will have there in purgatory, they will have an opportunity to pay for their sins and find favor with God and then they'll be able to go to heaven. There are some who believe that there are two kinds of people who will enter hell. And disbelievers who have rejected what they believe to be truth, uh, they will be in hell forever. And then those who believe there the truth that they teach, but didn't follow it, they will be in hell, and there they will be cleansed. And then, after they're cleansed, they'll be able to go up into heaven. The bottom line is, it becomes very confusing. There are many different beliefs when it comes to hell, judgment, and rewards. Most Christians, however, believe in two judgments. One for the righteous, the Christians, and one for the wicked. Now, the righteous ones, they believe in what they call a Bema judgment. If you're a member of the Presbyterian, the Methodist, and many other different denominations, you probably have never heard of the Bema judgment. But the very popular belief is this Bema judgment. And in the Bema judgment is for Christians. And you have to give an account of how faithful you serve Christ. What you did with your money as far as giving to the church. How you used your talents, whether you used them in the correct way or didn't use them. 
and the time that you spent with the Lord. And so Christians have come up with all sorts of programs on how you can get right, get straight with the Lord. And so a lot of people go through a lot of different things. I certainly did as a new Christian. I went through, I cleared out a closet. I had a prayer closet. I cleared it out because I read that's what you should do. And so a lot of us go through a lot of different things to try to get right with God. And then we hear about punishment. And the first time I heard about it is when I was a teenager. And um, I ran around with a, a bunch of bad people. And I was bad too, so birds of a feather flocked together, so I thought they were good friends of mine. And um, one of them got killed, and so I came from a Catholic community, and so at the, at the funeral, Father Marner brought us all, all of us back in a room, and he talked to us, and he said, uh, do you want... Uh, his name was Murphy. Do you want Murphy in heaven? We said, yes. If you can get him in, uh, yeah. And they said, well, if you say, each one says, ten Hail Marys, ten Our Fathers, and give a certain amount of money, that he would do his best to make sure that he got in there, or at least got into purgatory. So when I went into the Marine Corps and went into Vietnam, my concept of, of um, God was that if you did the Hail Marys, Tenor Fathers, and you gave your money, then maybe you could get in. And so I was like many. I, I prayed. I, I, didn't, I, I, I can't say it was a prayer. I just said, Lord, if you're there, if it's true, and you could get me out of this alive, but I would change. And I did. I got worse. I did everything worse. Um, but that's what a lot of people did. They tried to make agreements with God because I heard that the good were going to go to heaven, the bad were going to go to hell. I knew I was bad, so I knew I was going to hell. And so that's sort of the concept that a lot of people have today is if you're good, if your good outweighs your bad, then maybe God will accept you. Well, we're not the... Christians aren't the only ones that have entertained that thought because that's what the Muslims think. That if your good outweighs your bad, you're going to go to heaven. So there's a lot of confusion. And there are some that believe in the beam of judgment and they say that there are going to be some who are going to be happier than others. And of course they would be because they believe that you're going to get rewards by doing good things. So you'll be rewarded. And I don't know what the concept of rewards would be. Some would think that maybe they're going to be live in a bigger mansion. Uh, maybe they're going to get more jewels for their crown. And they have all sorts of different ideas of what the judgment and what rewards are going to be like. And then there's the great, great white throne judgment found in Revelation 20, which I will cover. And there are some differences within that. Because those who believe in the rapture, well, they believe that all must appear before the judgment bar of God, except, except those that are martyred and have lived through the tribulation that they are expecting to come. And then there are some who believe 
that the judgment will last for a thousand years because the Bible in the book of Revelation 20, it mentions a thousand year period. And so they believe that judgment is going to be over a period of a thousand years and the people that will be judging are going to be those that were in those that are the 144,000. So what do we make of all of this? I mean, what do we believe? What are we thinking about judgment? Do we fear the judgment? Is it something to be fearful of? Um, after all, the concept is that there's going to be a dividing line there. Some are going to go to heaven, some are going to go to hell. But what is the truth? So let me build on a foundation. And first I'm going to go through some text so that we can look at what the judgment really means. In Romans 8.1, the Bible says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now let me explain that. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says that there is no condemnation. If there is no condemnation, there is no judgment. Now, to make it, to, to solidify that, you'll notice in John 3.18, he who believes in him is not judged, the Bible says. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So the Bible is very clear here. First of all, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Second, the believer is not going to be judged. So I think that's pretty plain. And then in Hebrews 10, 17, the Bible says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, I spent a whole session or a whole uh, uh, message on forgiveness. We found out that we live in a forgiven state. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. The cross is the dividing line of human history. So 2,000 years back, Christ died for all the sins. In the Old Testament, they had a sacrificial system where blood covered sin. It didn't take it away, it covered it. And so they had a day of atonement when all of their sins were forgiven. And so for that day, the Jewish people, they lived in a state of ecstasy because all of their sins were forgiven. Whether they confessed it or not, it was forgiven. Because it was a blood that covered sin. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he died for the sins of the world. Not just for Christians, he died for the sins of the world, the Bible says. So what does that tell us? It tells us that the sin issue is over. He died for the sins of the world. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember them no more. So let's look at a little bit about confession. If I commit a sin before I can ever get a, a word out of my mouth, that sin has been dealt with. It's been forgiven and it's been forgotten. So if the Bible is true, which I believe it is, their sins and their deeds, it's talking about the Christian now, I will remember no more. That should give us a sense of freedom. 
that God is not going to remember our sins. If he doesn't remember them, he's certainly not going to bring them up in the judgment. But I can't tell you the millions of Christians that are so fearful of the judgment. For some reason, they think that they have to appear before the judgment bar of God and that they're going to see maybe a big TV screen and see, going to see all their sins up there. This is not, this is not true at all. Um, it's not like that. The Bible says this, truly, 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 I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. It's not a reward. And notice this. The Bible says, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. And the best way that I can explain that is when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have passed through the judgment. Now, I don't know how much plainer the Bible could make it, but there's a lot of times you hear the teaching that, that you, as a believer, you still have a wicked heart. And they get that from a text in the Old Testament. And so they say that the Bible tells us that we have a wicked heart. Talk about mixed messages. As Christians, we believe that we are saved by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. We are saved by grace. Jesus Christ comes into our life, and yet we're told that we have a wicked heart. So with one, with, with, with one voice we hear, Christ is in our hearts. The next voice we hear is you have a wicked heart. Then we hear that the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. And yet, the next message we hear is we have a sinful heart. So, it doesn't work that way. That is not the gospel. When you accepted Jesus Christ, he did something to you. You are different. And you will never, ever be the same. The real issue is the condition of the heart. In Ephesians, Ephesians 4.18, being darkened in their understanding, they didn't understand it, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. It is a condition of your heart. That's the, that's the bottom line. And so in the last four sessions, and this will be our fifth one, we've, got, we've went over to this text. Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel was a prophet. He had a vision of what would happen after the cross when the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, it's important that I go away because I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Now notice what Ezekiel saw. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will give that new spirit that will occupy that flesh. So let me explain to you what happened. You may not have understood it. You may, whatever, 
whatever condition of circumstances that you were in, whether you were 10 or whether you were 70, it doesn't make any difference. When you felt this, this desire, this compellingness, and you, you, you felt that you wanted to have God in your heart. Again, you didn't understand what was going to take place, but here's what took place. When you asked Christ to come in your life, God performed surgery on you. He opened you up, and he took out that heart of stone. Now, that heart of stone you were born with. All of us that have children, we know that children sin before they even know what sin is all about. I can remember my little three-year-old. My two-year-old, he took a toy away from the three-year-old. And that three-year-old hit him on the head. I didn't teach him to do that. His mother didn't teach him to do that. But it was something within him. He was born in Adam. And he was born in sin. He sinned before he understood what sin was. So now he's starting to grow up. He gets 10 years old. He goes to church. And he hears in church, he hears that you're not supposed to sin. So now he's born a sinner. And now they're told him, you're not supposed to sin. How does that work? How does that work? But then the Bible says that, well, it does work. But you have to be born again. You have to be born again. Nicodemus said, I don't get it. Do I have to go back into my mother's womb? No, no, you must be born of the Spirit. So Ezekiel says that he will give you a new heart and he'll give you a new spirit. And that's what happened. He took out that Adam heart, that, 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 that heart of stone, and he gave you the heart of God. He gave you Christ's heart. And the Holy Spirit dwells in there. And at your core, you don't want to sin. Do you sin? Yes. Do you want to? No. Well, how come you do then? Well, Paul described it the best. It is that sin that dwells within me. Now, I don't know how many of you have had that experience, but I've had it thousands and thousands of times. I can be listening to Christian music. And just thinking how wonderful God is, and all of a sudden a bad thought will go through my mind. And I thought, where did that come from? And Paul, he addressed that issue in Romans 7. And Paul says, I don't understand it, but it's not me. It's not me. It's sin that dwells within me. Sin that's in my body. And so and Jesus Christ gives us the answer to that. He says, when I return, when I will come back, the second coming, I will give you a new body to match that perfect heart that I've given you already. And then we say, well, I don't quite understand about the sin issue then. And then God says that even when you sin, I will remember your sin no more. I will forgive. I will forget. It's all taken care of. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that he will not hold our sins against us. Why? Because we have that heart. We have his heart. Again, I've never met a Christian who didn't have a good heart. Romans 6.17 says this. 
But thanks be to God that, through, that, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from where? From the heart. You, came, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching in which you were committed. So it's a heart issue. You have been saved through grace and you became obedient because of your new heart. Now, when we sin, we are going against our heart. That's why we feel bad when we do it. But it's wonderful to know that that sin has already been taken care of. A born-again believer has no fear of the judgment. And this is why in 1 John 4, 17 and 18, but this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. And then the Bible says there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. In other words, the Bible is simply saying the one who, who, who's in Christ, he may not understand it, but he, he doesn't have to fear the judgment. The judgment is not for him. The judgment is for the wicked and the wicked only. So let's look at the judgment and let's see what the Bible has to say about it. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So people have read this text and they said, okay, everybody has to appear before the judgment bar of God and People are going to have to give an account for what they did. Um, who has to give an account for what they did? Well, it's the unbeliever. It's certainly not the believer because God says that he remembers our sins no more. So it is the unbeliever. And then it says here, according to what has done, whether good. So who does good? The Christian. Okay. And so they came up with this beam of judgment, they call it. So at the great white throne judgment, they're going to be a judgment for the wicked, as we will find out as we get into that. And then the, wicked, or the righteous will be rewarded. And that's what they call the Bema judgment. Bema is a Greek word that was used by the Greek Olympia Games. And it was described, described a place of, of rewards and rewards only. However, the word bima appears over half a dozen times in the Bible. It's like in Matthew 27, it talks about Pilate's bima seat, judgment seat. In Acts 25, Herod Agrippa's judgment seat. And then Caesar's judgment seat in Acts 25. And so at least six times the bima judgment has been brought up. But it appears as many times in the Bible, as a place of judgment and punishment. The beam of judgment, Pilate's judgment, Caesar's judgment, they were all judgments of punishment. And so many Christians, they believe that somehow we will get rewarded when we get to heaven. And where do they get that? 
Well, they get it from the Bible. It's not that they just make it up. They get it from the Bible. In Revelation 22.12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I want you to notice something here. It says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward. It's not plural, not my rewards. It is my reward is with me. In all the different translations, the King James Version of the Bible says reward. Today's English version is the only one that I know of that has put an S at the end of reward for rewards, plural. But other, it just says, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. It's not, it's, it's, it's not what we think it is. I mean, do we really believe that at the end of time, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to hand out rewards for all the good deeds that you have done. Well, maybe you've lived a year, maybe you've lived 10 years, maybe you've lived 20 years, and maybe you lived 90 years like Billy Graham did over, over 90 years. Are we to believe then that God is going to dole out prizes or rewards for being, being good. No, I, I don't think that you will find it. In fact, I know you will not find that in the Bible. Well, somebody says, well, what about Matthew? Because many people use Matthew 6, 20 through 21. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Well, you think, well, what's that all about? And so some have tried to translate that text into these rewards that you're going to get. You're storing up. You're storing up in heaven all these wonderful things that you have done. The money that you have given. The, you know, working in the soup line. working. All these are going to be rewards. Well, I'll tell you something. There's a lot of non-Christians who do a lot of wonderful works that help the poor and the needy all over the world. This is not talking about that. No, it says, and the key is the next verse, 21. For where your treasure is, now, when the Bible speaks of treasure, it's not talking about a reward. Treasure is not a reward. It's a finding. When you found the treasure, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so what the Bible is really talking about is well, you've got a new heart, a new spirit. This is talking about attitudes and actions that endure forever. It's not talking about these things that you do. A lot of people work in the church and they think that they're going to get rewards in heaven for that. That's not why we work. That's not why we do things for God, to get a reward. Our, we've already received our reward. The Bible says that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you receive the gift of eternal life. Eternal life is not a reward for being good. It's not a reward at all. It is a gift from God. Just like your righteousness is a gift from God. I can quote you a text in Hebrews where the Bible says that you are perfect forever. Now, that's what the Bible says you are when you accepted Jesus Christ. You are perfect forever. Well, you can say to you, I mean, 
When I first heard it and read it, I, I, I probably thought the same thing you did. There's nothing perfect about me. What do you mean I'm perfect forever? I mean, is, is that the way God sees me as being perfect? Does God, what does he have on? Does he have Jesus' glasses on so he can't see who I really am? What does that mean that you are perfect forever? It means that in your core, in your core, in your heart, you are. You do not want to sin from your heart. You sin because you listen to the flesh and you listen to the sin that dwells within you. And Jesus says, when you listen to that, I want to assure you one thing. That your sins, I will not count against you because you are my child. Yes, you are. You are perfect forever. Do you act perfect? No. No, you don't. Sometimes we listen to our flesh. But what does the Bible really say? So what is our reward when we think of our reward? Our reward is eternal life with Jesus Christ. That is our reward. In Colossians 3, the Bible says this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. What is your reward? It is the Lord Christ is your reward. What is your inheritance? Your inheritance is your reward. The Lord Jesus Christ will dwell with you forever and ever. I believe that the Bible is very plain. And I think that the best example is given to us in Matthew 20. Now, I'm the first one to say that it's, we, we, we don't take a parable, an allegory from, from Scripture, and make a doctrine out of it. We learn from the parable or the allegory. That's why Jesus gave us that, so that we could see what he was talking about. And in most of you will remember the story, Matthew 20, 1 and 2. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with them, the laborers, when he agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. He made sure that they understood that they would be working for 12 hours and this is what he would pay them. And so <clears throat> the Bible says that then he hired, as we know, most of you know the story, as he, then he hired them at the third hour, and then the sixth hour, and then the ninth hour, and then the eleventh hour. And then he says here in Matthew 8, or excuse me, in Matthew 20, verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the, his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And you remember the story, he paid them all the same. No matter when they came in, he paid them all the same. And then they began to grumble. And they were, they were complaining right off the, right the get-go. It's not fair, they said. It's not fair. We've worked here all day for 12 hours, and somebody came in and worked an hour, and you gave them the same wages. 
are you referring that you made them equal to us, even though they just worked one hour? The landowner said to them, did you not agree with the wage? Let it be. It's my business, whatever I want to do with my money. We are all indeed equal. Whether you became a Christian at 10 or whether you became a Christian at 90, it makes no difference. We are all equal. We all get the same reward. And that reward is to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. It's talking about Christ. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we are all equal. When we, when we accepted Jesus Christ, we became righteous. Not just some of us, all of us. All of us are in the same boat. All of us received eternal life. All of us, we live in a state of forgiveness. We are forgiven whether we confess that sin or not. Jesus Christ dealt with the sin issue on Calvary 2,000 years ago. All who receive the inheritance. What is the inheritance? It is our reward. Spending eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now we go to the, white, the great white throne judgment in Revelation, where the final judgment will take place. Let me give you just a short little background here. The judgment is going to take place at the second coming of Christ, right after the second coming of Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ will reign for a thousand years. Now, I'll not go into whether you believe in pre or post. Uh, I mean, that's, I'll leave that for the theologians to discuss and argue over. Uh, one of these days, I'll cover that just to, so you can see both sides of it. But the Bible says this. In Revelation 22, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, during that time, the saints come to life. Second coming of Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are remain will meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We will spend 1,000 years, and of course, there are some different beliefs in this as well. Different Christians have some different beliefs. I used to teach a, a class, a seminary class, of um, Daniel and Revelation. And I thought that I had pretty well figured it all out. And then I found out I didn't. But then I found out all those that have tried to interpret the book of Revelation there's only been one consistency through them. Nobody has been correct so far. Nobody. Um, so when we come to this book of Revelation, we come to Revelation 20. We give a little bit of background. And the Bible says here, And then I saw a great white throne, 
with him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Now we're going to go through the great white throne judgment. And then the Bible says here in verse 12, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, plural, in the books, according to their deeds. So right off when we read this, who is God talking about? He's talking about those who have to pay for their deeds. Who, uh, who are those? They are the wicked. They are the unbelievers. They are the ones who rejected the atonement for their sins. They just rejected it completely. If you talk to a Muslim today, you will find out that he believes in Jesus Christ. He believes that he was born of a virgin. He believes that Jesus Christ was a, was a true prophet. He does not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. You remember the story when John the Baptist, when he was baptizing, the first time he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins. The Jewish people always knew that the blood covered the sins. When they heard John the Baptist say that he takes away the sins, that's when they got angry at John the Baptist. That Jesus Christ would actually take away sin, not cover them, take them away. And he took them away at the cross. The Bible says here, again, in, in verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. So, once again, we know that it's the wicked, the unbeliever. And then in verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And then it says, And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So remember, when you said yes to Jesus Christ, when you asked him to come into your life, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. This is not talking about us. This is talking about the unbeliever. This is talking about the wicked. It's very plain. The dead here are the wicked. And their names are not found in the book of life. We have no fear of the judgment. Because the judgment is not about us. John 3.18 again. He who believes in him is not judged. The Bible is so wonderfully plain on this. We are not judged. When we accepted Christ, we were safe and secure. And I just love, I remember when, when my wife was uh, dying and she asked me to go over everything with her. And I went through the salvation and everything and then I came to this scripture. 
I begin to read her the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth. Now, you're going to hear me and you're going to hear every other preacher out here say, the truth will set you free. I want you to be sure... It's not talking about the truth about the rapture, the truth about the state of the dead, the truth about these things. It has nothing to do with that. It's the truth about Jesus Christ. That's what will set you free. All this other doctrinal issues will not. It will, it will bound you, really. And so real freedom is Jesus Christ. And when I read this to her, having also believed that you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So when you said yes to Christ, he sealed you unto the day of redemption, his second coming. And my wife, she heard it all, and then she says, oh, hon, she says, it is true, isn't it? I said, indeed it is. We have been sealed unto the day of redemption. The Bible says here, in verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his own glory. Revelation 21 reaffirms everything that I've said. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And then the Bible says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. It is a beautiful description of the believer. There he is at the judgment bar of God. He's not being judged. He's being rewarded. What is his reward? To spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that the book of Revelation seems strange to us today. It can be very confusing as you go through it. Several have tried to interpret when Christ would return by the book of Revelation. You remember some of you, the late great planet Earth, Hal Lindsey. He said that Christ was going to come back in 1988. 66 reasons why God was going to come back. The Lord was going to come back in 86. Never happened. The last plan of God, the world would end in October 1993. Let me quote you a little excerpt from that book. After the rapture, the world will enter into the most horrible period of the whole history of mankind called the Great Tribulation. The purpose of the tribulation is punishment and salvation through fire. Now, if that won't make you run to Jesus, nothing would. But it doesn't. And it never will. There is so much confusion about the tribulation and the punishment and salvation. This whole idea brings nothing but confusion to the believer. And pretty soon the, the average believer doesn't want to hear it anymore. Because he doesn't know what to believe. The important thing is that we believe in Jesus Christ. 
Scholars have long thought that the book of Revelation was written for the Roman citizen at that time. Many scholars have thought the book of Revelation has a dual application. I fall into one of those who believe that, that there's a dual application in the book of Revelation. So we have to be very careful how we read the book of Revelation. We should read it. We should study it. But we don't need to try to connect the dots all the time. The important thing, when I think of the judgment, when I think of the rapture, somebody, some, oftentimes people come up to me and they say, well, do you believe in the rapture? And I says, well, rapture means to be caught up. So if you, yes, I believe that we're going to be caught up, just like the book says. Well, do you believe in the three and a half years, the three and a half years? I said, before 1700, nobody really understood it. That only came about in 18-something, 1830, I think it was. And so there's a lot of confusion. I mean, a lot of people have tried to connect the dots, and sometimes they think they have it, and most of the times they don't. The important thing is we don't fear the judgment because we're safe and secure. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until Jesus Christ comes. We know that we will not have to face the judgment. And you know, there's a lot of talk about living godly lives, and that's wonderful. That's what we should live. But we should let God live it through us. We shouldn't have to try to live it because we'll never make it. We'll never do it. I spent the whole first session on the exchange life in Christ, how that works. It's not we work it. It God works in us and through us. We've also learned that we have an inheritance, a reward which is spending our life with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the truth that does set us free. We feel there is freedom in knowing who we are and who you are. And so we're thankful that we have passed through the judgment, that we don't have to worry about the judgment. And we just praise you and thank you for that. We're thankful that you do live in us through the Holy Spirit. And you guide us and you comfort us and you counsel us. And we're grateful for that. All of us face different issues in life. And we thank you for the promises you've given to us in 2 Peter that we have everything that we need for this life and godliness. Thank you. And now we pray that you will continue to mature us as week by week as we study from your word. Help us to understand you. Help us to understand who we are better. And we will just praise you throughout eternity when we do get our reward. We thank you for it. Bless us now, I pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.